What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Captain Zach with another episode of Beyond the Buoy. In today's episode, we speak with Graham Watson of West Passage Oysters. Graham was a unbelievable friend of mine. We actually met when he was first starting West Passage. He was kind of wandering around looking for a place to keep his boat, and I just so happened to bump into him. And at the time, I was actually looking to get my uh, permit for a kelp farm and then doing oysters kind of as a secondary. Usually, it's the other way around, but I was at the time very interested in kelp and uh, and still am and looking forward to talking with uh, a couple farms up in Maine um, <clears throat> uh, later in the future. But this episode is devoted solely to oysters and we talk about how Graham uh, in his journey discovered oysters and how he's now become an oyster farmer here on Narragansett Bay in Rhode Island. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you Graham, and we're talking about West Passage Oysters, but before we get along with the show, just stick around to the end. Graham and I talk a little bit about how he is being affected by the the pandemic that we have going on. Uh, these are very interesting times, and with that, there's some interesting circumstances that are affecting the fisheries as well as uh, many other businesses around the world. So um, just getting his take on that. And then we also offer a little bit of comic relief. So if you're stuck in quarantine and you want a, a few laughs or just learn a little bit something about oysters, um, uh, stick around to the end. Should be good. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Graham Watson. You know, we got to tell people, you know, who you are, where you're from, where you got started and kind of go back to the whole, you know, back to the, back to your roots. Cause you can't, obviously you, you didn't start in Rhode Island, and there's a huge long story from the first time they recorded it that you kind of let me, you know, I've heard multiple times, but it's always awesome to hear again. Um, but we're, I mean, introduce yeah. yourself. Yeah, my name is Graham, my name is Graham Watson. Um, I am 33 years old. I live in North Kingstown, Rhode Island. Uh, I ha- I, I'm the owner and operator uh, of... West Passage Oyster Company, that's in Narragansett Bay. Uh, we have a floating oyster farm between Jamestown and North Kingstown. Um, and it's right in front of John Chafee Nature Preserve in North Kingstown. It's about 400 feet off of that preserve. So yeah, if you threw a rock as hard as you could, you probably get about halfway to it. Uh, I live in Rhode Island, but I grew up in New York. I grew up in Westchester, New York, and I grew up pleasure boating, like uh, with friends. I never owned a boat and my family never had a boat, but I had a friend that um, I would go uh, like tubing and go on the Hudson River um, and do do a lot of fishing as a kid. Um, so I had boating experience through, through that. And then I moved to California in 2012 after uh, leaving a job in New York City, and uh, and I went out to California. And I had read when I was in New York. I had read in in like 2011 about the guys in Rhode Island, uh, Perry Rosso and Walrus and Carpenter oysters, and how they were growing oysters. And oysters are are so good for uh, the environment, and they're so good uh, to eat and they're good for the body. And, um, and so I, after reading about them, the, the seed was planted that, you know, oyster farming was a very interesting concept and um, something that I might want to be involved in. And um, about a year later, I moved to California 
And I got just a bunch of jobs, um, odd jobs uh, after moving out there, like carpentry and just random, random odd jobs. Um, I was really, really uh, excited to live in California. And then I heard about this place called Hog Island Oyster Farm. I was thinking about what, what my future was going to be and what I wanted to do um, and potentially uh, start starting a business. And I was like, well, uh, I had read about these Rhode Island oyster farmers. Um, I wonder, I wonder how that compares to San Francisco oyster farm. Um, so, so I drove up to Marin, uh, Marin County, uh, which is about an hour north of San Francisco. And I introduced myself to one of the owners, um, or actually the owner's son, um, who was the farm manager at that time. And, um, I really did. I, I, I walked, I, I filled out an application, um, and I uh, and I talked to the I talked to the manager and I said, um, really, why I'm here is to apply for a job, but more so, I just want to get the experience of learning how to grow oysters, and um, I, I I want to take that experience and bring it back to the East Coast someday and start start an oyster farm for myself. And that was before I really knew too much about oyster farming. Um, so and how so much fast- did, how how much did you know about like- well I. I knew, I knew based on YouTube, based on reading articles, like I knew, um, I knew a bunch, actually, I I actually knew a lot about oyster farming, but it was all through, it was all through just research. I hadn't had any firsthand experience doing it. So, so, and that's what I told them. I, you know, I, I was very interested in it and it was like a concept that I was very, and, and, uh, uh, a trade that I was really interested in, but I had never done it. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I got that job and, um, I worked on the oyster farm. Um, I, I was at Hog Island for about th- three or four years. And it, within that three or four years, I, I worked on the oyster farm. I worked at their, uh, their, uh, restaurants as an oyster shocker. I had a job for about a year delivering oysters to the city um, and to restaurants. Um, so I, I actually learned not only the farming piece, not only the like the the shucking piece, but also like the delivery, which believe it or not, like turned out to be some of the most useful knowledge. Just just like the transportation of oysters. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward, but uh, I'm always surprised on a daily basis, like and 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 feel lucky that I had just those three jobs um, because it showed me all the aspects of the business. The entire supply chain, essentially. Exactly. And now, um, now I, I sort of, I feel like I, in a way, have my finger on the pulse a little bit of like how it all works. Cause you know, when I harvest oysters, I know where, I know where they're going and who they're going to be seen by and how they're going to be, um, how they're going to be, uh, uh, judged and like, and what I found is just being a shucker and doing doing the farming. The shucker is really sometimes the the gatekeeper to um, judging the oyster. Like, if the shuckers like it, uh, if if it's easy to open and it's and it's a quality oyster in terms of shuckability, that's a huge component of whether or not your oysters get popular. Um, and um, and so that's who I try to appeal to is like uh, is to oyster shuckers because I want to make the oysters 
as easy to open as possible. Um, and, and that, cause they're the gatekeeper. When you walk into an oyster bar and you say, what's the best oyster? The oyster shucker is going to tell you most likely the oyster shucker is, is going to tell you the best one, uh, based on his opinion and his opinion is based on which one he wants to open. The ones that are like really gnarly and flaky and, and fall apart and, um, are really difficult to open. He's not going to want to shuck half. Or he's not going to want to shuck sixty of those, or half, or even just half a dozen of those. He's he's going to go for the ones that are really easy to open. Anyway, that's a sort of a tangent that I just got on. But no, no, it um, makes perfect sense. I mean, you you have to you have to know and realize what the supply chain is in order yeah. for you to really start from point A and then end mm-hmm. up at Z. Because yes. And you have to know the people on the way. Like if you create a yeah. product, let's say, that's really hard, it, it doesn't have a long shelf life, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, peep, the guy on the, on the front end of that who is putting it in the store, or let's say, let's start with the distributor. If the shelf yeah. life sucks, then no one is else going to see it because you're right. He, the guy A, is the gatekeeper, the distributor, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. very similar in the sense that... Um, and it makes perfect sense because the shucker, he's he's the guy that calls the shots. And he's the guy that's going to be like, hey, I don't want to open all these crappy oysters. I want to open West Passage oysters because they're awesome. They taste great. They're easy to open. They don't flake off. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other reasons why someone wouldn't want to shuck some other, ones, some other person's oysters. So yeah. it makes perfect sense. Yeah, they're pretty user-friendly. When I, when I give them to my friends to, or or, or – local people to bring them home and shock themselves at their house they're they're pretty user friendly compared to compared to other oysters that are um harder to open i mean all oysters take it's a bit of a learning curve but um but uh but yeah the the these oysters the west passage oysters are um are are consistently easy to open and and they're consistently good they're consistently you know for the most part, uh, when you get a bag of, of West Passage oysters, they're all pretty uniform, and um, and you sort of know what you're getting, which is is really where we take our job seriously. It's just when we're grading them on a daily basis, we try to make sure the the the, the hundred oysters that go into a bag all basically are the same size and the same um, same grade. And, uh, and so you're not going to have like a really big oyster and a really petite oyster and one that looks different. And, you know, we want, we want to have it pretty uniform anyway. So, so I, I had that job for about three years and then, um, and then family and, uh, other, other, it was a lot of it was family that drew, drew me back to the East coast, but I, um, and, uh, and, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, um, uh, I got married, by the way. I got married. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Congrats. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I, I got uh, what? I, we, my, my girlfriend and I eloped. So um, so now I'm talking about my wife, which is pretty cool. That is awesome. Um, Congrats, dude. Thank you. So she she and I were out in San Francisco, and she moved back to the East Coast for a job. And uh, my sister had a baby, and I wanted to start a business. I wanted to make it back to the East Coast. Um, everyone was sort of like pushing me in that direction. So, um, I, I ended up coming back to the East coast, um, and, uh, applying for a few different leases, one of which was in New York. Um, 
and this, you know, it took about two years to get, um, to get my lease to, to come through, um, in Rhode Island. And cause I, I was, I was going back and forth from New York and Rhode Island. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in New York or if I wanted to be in Rhode Island, uh, growing oysters. Um, and what was the, uh, what was the decision between New York and Rhode Island? Like, how did you decide? Um, well, New York was actually a really good option. It's, it's New York is a long Island is a great, really good place, especially like Eastern long Island and, um, uh, mid long Island, like obviously you want to be far away from the city, um, to grow oysters, but, um, but yeah, uh, like the long Island sound is, is, uh, is a good place. And then off of like fire Island, um, uh, is a good place. Anyway, I, I, I went around looking at locations to live and I didn't so much want to be, um, in like an urban environment. And, uh, you know, unless you get out to like Montauk or, um, some of Eastern, like, you know, if you get far enough away from the city, then, um, then you can find some pretty rural parts of Long Island. I, I just didn't want to be on Long Island. It wasn't a place for me. Um, and my sister was already living in, uh, in Rhode Island. And, and so I decided to, um, end up, uh, looking for a lease in Rhode Island. And, you know, Rhode Island has such a rich history of seafood and fishing and, um, it's the ocean state. So, um, I don't know why that didn't naturally occur to me, but I think because I was, I, I had grown up in New York, I was like, well, I want to stay in my home state. Um, but I didn't want to be, I didn't grow up on Long Island. Long Island is very different from the rest of the state. Oh yeah. Big it's, time. So, um, so I didn't, I didn't want to be on Long Island. Um, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me, but, uh, but Rhode Island, looking back on, it, I'm so happy I went with Rhode Island because it's such a beautiful place and, um, it's quirky and, uh, and it's got space to move around. I mean, I feel so lucky right now, like, especially with this, with this coronavirus, I, I can go out in my backyard. I have, I have space, um, and I'm close to the water. I could, I could get on the boat and sort of get, get out, um, get out of the house and have space to roam around. And, um, anyway, so, I just, it was just a personal, personal preference, I guess. I, um, I just, I wanted to be, I wanted to be not on, it's, it sounds so, so not nice to Long Island. No, I just it, didn't want to, I just didn't want to be on Long Island. Hey, some places um, don't vibe with everyone. You know, I'm sure there's yeah. people that are like, you know, I went to Rhode Island, I tried it, didn't like it, moved to, yeah. moved back to Long Island. So, right. um, but in some ways, I mean, that's kind of how I met you is you yeah. going around figuring out where your lease was going to be. And then mm-hmm. um, I believe it was the guys at Pleasant Street that probably maybe mentioned me in the in your journey yeah. or quest of trying to get your oyster farm. I, I, can you really explain that? I'm not really, I yeah. can't really remember. Well, that's how I met you. So, um, so I was driving, that was the hardest, one of the hardest parts for me um, in particular, because I'm not a local Rhode Islander. And so um, the way they do it, the CRMC sets it up is um they 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 say you know you could apply for it you could apply for an oyster lease um wherever you want but you're not necessarily going to get it in, unless you pick a spot that's not in navigable 
you can't be in navigable waters. You can't be like right in front of Narragansett Beach because you know Narragansett Beach doesn't want to the the people that go there they don't want to um, they don't want you competing with you know swimming or water skiing or um, and they also don't want you to be competing with other fishermen um, recreational and commercial. Um, you have to be in and, and it actually limit it 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 makes it when you look at the map of the bay. Um, that actually gets pretty limiting. Um, so, so I ended up, I was driving around, I just drove around the state of Rhode Island for weeks um, with a topographic, uh, topographic map um, and all types of information um, with my, you know, cell phone and, and, and all types of maps. And, um, and I did, uh, I picked out like a dozen spots and then I narrowed it down to about six. And uh, and I worked with the CRMC. Dave Butel was incredibly helpful, um, helping me um, narrow it down. But I I ran into you because I uh, I was doing some more research on okay, well if I'm going to apply for this lease, I need to know that I can store my boat somewhere that's close to the lease. I can't, you know what I mean? I I have oh, yeah. to I have to have a lease that has a harbor that's close to it so that I can store my boat somewhere. So anyway, that's how I met you. I, w- I went looking for a, a marina where I could store a boat. Um, and I was introducing myself, trying to get a lay of the land. And in in doing so, I, I met the guy that owned the, the marina. And he's like, hey, well, actually, uh, this guy, Zach Rollins, who works for us, he's he's interested in, um, in starting a kelp farm and oyster farm. And so you should talk to him. I mean, you, you could uh, bounce some ideas off each other. So, um, and that's how I met you. I, I introduced myself to you, and um, and we, you know, at the time you were interested in starting an oyster farm too. So we were bouncing ideas off of each other. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that that was that's how we met each other, and that's 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 also how I got connected with um, with the Pleasant Street Marina guys because. You weren't at Pleasant Street. You were at um, Full Keel. You were at Full Keel, yeah. and then I think I think you recommended or somebody recommended that I go over to Pleasant Street and look for a spot over there. Um, and yeah, that's that's how it happened. But anyway, so I I narrowed it down to about six places um, throughout Rhode Island, and luckily, uh, I luckily we landed on. Um, on John Chafee, right in front of John Chafee Nature Preserve between Jamestown and North Kingstown um, to put West Passage Oyster Farm. And um, Now, I know and, you kind of explained where it is in the beginning here, but, I mean, you, you have the Jamestown Bridge, right? And then you have Fox Island, which kind of sits right in the middle, not really right in the middle, but a little bit over to the western side of the bay. If you're if, if you're looking through the West Passage, looking north, um, and so you're just north of the bridge, kind of over to the western side of it, right in between John Chafee and then Fox Island. But why why there? Because I mean, obviously you have you have some restrictions for you know navigation and other other uh, uses. But why why that area? There's a well. There's a lot of factors. There's a lot of reasons. I guess I'll start with the first reason is um, 
for me, the first reason was I was looking for some, I was looking for a location that had relatively flat bottom that didn't have big boulders on the bottom because um, when we sink our gear to the bottom, um, we want it to be able to sit flat on the bottom. Um, so it, cause it's floating during the summer months and then during the winter months, it, it, if there is ice, we don't want it floating. We want, we want it to be below the ice so it won't be affected by ice drift. So um, I wanted some place that was relatively, uh, relatively shallow as well. So it's about 14 feet um, and it's flat bottom. Um, and then it also is more or less protected from weather, except from the east side. Um, we, would, we, we do get wind from the east side, but it's protected on the west, northwest, southwest. And then Fox Island gives some protection from the northeast. Um, so that was the other component, uh, which I, I picked out for the weather. We were pretty protected from the weather. And then the, the other piece was um, from a public standpoint, um, we didn't, we weren't going to run into a lot of, uh, a lot of like millionaire homes that were parked right on the shoreline that were going to, that were going to challenge our application um, because that's, a, that's a big roadblock in, in Rhode Island. That's the biggest roadblock in Rhode Island and other states is that people that live on the coast, um, uh, people that live on the coast that have their, uh, they have their view of the bay or the ocean. Uh, they have waterfront property. Those people want to. Those people want to um, have their view not be imp um, uh, in infringed on or impeded uh, by an oyster farm. An oyster farm has beauty to it, uh, in my opinion, and, and and most people think it's you know it's not very visible anyway. Um, but it's uh, most so that that's the other reason. John Chapin Nature Preserve is a nature preserve, and it doesn't have million dollar houses on it. Right. Um, there's it's ju it's just wood. So we're, we're we weren't going to run into people challenging our application. Right. And you bring up a super interesting point there because um, you have this you have this concept of the working waterfront, right? So yeah. you're you're a hundred percent included in that. You got. Yeah, tugboats, commercial traffic, fishermen, oystermen, aquaculturists, so on and so forth. Right, the list gets longer and longer and longer as we continue to evolve. Uh, because mm -hmm. fifty years ago, uh, aquaculture wasn't what it is today. Right, I mean right. It, it existed to some degree, but not not at the capacity that we're at today. So, mm -hmm. you 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 fall into this interesting dichotomy between people love to see a working waterfront. Yeah, but at the same time, it's the not in my backyard idea because if yeah. you go if you go to Wickford, right? Wickford is this quaint little fishing village, and if you walk down to the the town wharf, you see the old fishing boats that are for you know. I look at them, I'm like, geez, I don't know how that thing's still running, but it runs yeah. and, it, and it fishes, and I think mm -hmm. one of them actually goes out and has an oyster farm, and they sell lobster on the docks. And people and tourists come there and they fantasize about uh, going out and fishing on the high seas and, and being a fisherman or a lobsterman or a oysterman. And yeah. the same thing happens up in Maine. That's why you have, you know, they sell oars, old oars with, you know, their name on it or, you know, line or the glass bolt, the glass buoys that they manufacture. Um, mm -hmm. So it continues on and it, it's almost as if, 
fishing in in some parts of the world is actually being manufactured so tourists can enjoy it. But at the same time, people look at it, like I said earlier, and they're like, well, not in my backyard. So, and there's, right. there actually, there's a few things going on now. I know in, in, in uh, Potter's Pond with Perry that uh, there's some discrepancies down there. I know you haven't run into other things, but I'm sure other guys have. Um, yeah. It's just a super interesting point that you brought up. And there's a lot of different viewpoints on it. So, yeah. I think I tend to sit in the middle with it where I, I think the oystermen should definitely be doing what they're doing. But I also yeah. understand the viewpoint of the people that are trying to get the use out of their waterway as well. I, I, I of course, do. I mean, you have to, with anything, um, you have to take everyone's, from a public standpoint, you have to take everyone's, it, every, everyone's opinion into consideration. If you're going to allow things to happen, then you have to get everyone's opinion because everyone has a different scope. Um, and everyone comes at it from a different perspective. My perspective is, and a lot of people's perspective is, you know, um, that we want to grow oysters because they're good for the environment and they're good for people and people love oysters and um, it's a working waterfront and there's, there's, it's charming um, to, to have oyster farms in Rhode Island. And I also get the perspective that um, if I were um, fortunate enough to, um, have a $3 million home on, on um, the waterfront. Uh, I can appreciate why you don't want to see anything but ocean. Um, I also, uh, I can understand that. Um, and I totally understand, like, uh, I totally understand. Yeah. So, and there's other perspectives too. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, um, if, if you want to, if you want to, well, yeah, that, that's really the biggest roadblock. So I won't go into anything really else because it's really that it really comes down to that. I mean, water, we, we don't see, we don't hear water skiers and people that like to go tubing on the bay. We don't really hear them complaining um, about, about oyster farms because we're not in anyone's way. We're in, in we're in, we're sort of tucked away um, in, in this, in this little nook. We're not in the main channel. It's not like, and no, really, no oyster farms are. Um, but the the roadblock that Perry down on Potter's Pond, he runs into that. The, the the problem he runs into is the people that live on Potter's Pond. There's a lot of houses on the on that shoreline, um, and it's kind of it's it's not what they it's not what they want. They they want the if if they had their way, they would probably have Potter's Pond have no operations on it at all. Um, and, and they could, they could just not look at, um, people working out there every day. So I can appreciate that. Um, but you know, I, I think the positives outweigh the, the negatives here where we're talking about, um, really like when agriculture, um, and, uh, so many, so many foods that we eat today are, um, depleting resources oysters don't deplete any resources there's it's a net positive there's no fertilizers fresh water or feeds that we have to give the oysters they don't they don't consume anything but the natural phytoplankton that's already in the ocean um so it's it's a win-win um and in many ways they're they're improving the water quality to some degree yeah well they yeah they take that they take that phytoplankton 
um, they consume that phytoplankton, um, which allows the sun to uh, penetrate down to the, uh, it, it, it takes some of that siltiness out of the water. Um, and so it clears up the water so that the light, the sunlight can penetrate down to the bottom, 10 feet down and, um, and grow the, uh, the, the sea life. Um, it grows eelgrass, it grows all types of um, aquatic plants, and then you bring aquatic plants back, and then um, and then uh, fish and uh, wild wildlife in the ocean. Um, it follows uh, suit. It, it does. Yeah, are, are are attracted to that. Yeah, I mean, so, it, there yeah. there really isn't any other than some discrepancies with how. Um, oysters are farmed due to the, what we just explained, right? The the whole working waterfront concept. Um, there really isn't a bad. There's no negatives to having oysters. There, I just I can't think of any. Um, no, that's that's why they've become so popular because uh, nowadays we're thinking we're thinking about um, depleting resources and we don't want to be depleting resources and fresh water we have to conserve and. Um, and agriculture uses so much of our fresh water, 60%. And I'm not saying stop eating lettuce, but, um, uh, you know, I'm, I, I am saying eat more oysters because oysters, uh, oysters, they don't, they don't, we're not depleting any resources. Uh, I mean, if we, and, you know, when, when, when we plant, oysters then we go after two years when they're harvestable we go out and we take out those oysters so the we're not even we're not even depleting a fish resource it's not even like um there's a distinction between oyster men and oyster farmers um oyster men go out and they they get natural wild oysters and they they take them out of the wild but these oysters that we farm we plant them and then we retrieve them. So um, we're not depleting a resource. We're, we're actually using the natural, the, the, the natural world to, to grow the oysters. I mean, it's really, it's really a great system. Um, and in many ways, and, uh, the, you're actually, um, from what I understand, the, you, the, the fact that you're actually farming and planting oysters in your cages uh, actually can in many cases plant oysters in the wild, correct? Any of that spat that's been left over? Am I wrong yeah, about that? Yeah, like it. Yeah, no, you're not wrong at all. Um, wh- there's there's a few things that we're doing. I mean, we we partner with the state, and we um, we're trying to bring back natural oyster like natural oyster beds. Um, so uh, we we will actively take uh, baby oyster spat. We'll take oyster spat. And plant it on on the bottom in 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 all types of locations around Rhode Island. There's there's a lot of farmers um, that are part of the project uh, with the state. Um, and Bissell Cove is the the nearest location that we have. So we've been working to bring back natural oyster reefs in Bissell Cove um, uh, to to bring back the to bring back the wild oyster in Rhode Island. Um, but then in addition to actively doing that project, um, the, the oysters that we have growing on our farm, if there's a, you know, a million oysters that are on our farm, when the water temperature rises in the springtime, 
oysters naturally put out eggs and sperm into the water column. And it's, it's, it's kind of hit or miss, but um, sometimes you can have those eggs and sperm actually, the tide will be right, the temperature will be right. Um, it, it's really difficult to get oysters to reproduce in the wild. But if, like I said, if the time is right, um, then, uh, and the tide is going in the right direction, they, they'll end up uh, reproducing and, and growing on, on the shoreline. Um, so just by, just by having our oysters growing on our farm, we're, we're promoting the growth of natural oysters as well. Um, so yeah, it's, there's a lot of wins um, yeah, so, with oyster farming. Yeah, I, I guess to sum it up, what you're telling me is oyster farming is a win, 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 win. There's, there's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a win, win, win. Everything. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that'd be cool if a lot of things were like that, right? Yeah, they're right. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's kind of rare to, to have such um, such a, a win 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 win, which is draw, which is exactly what drew me to the industry in the first place. That I mean, I like oysters. I I like I grew up with a dad that liked oysters. I mean, he I mean, I I was exposed to oysters as a kid, um, but I I wouldn't say I loved oysters, um, but I enjoyed them. And now, uh, now I love them, but, but really what drew me to the oyster farming was, was not that I love to eat oysters, but the fact that they're so good for, for us as humans, but to consume, but also that they're so good for the environment. I, 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 I am a person that loves to be outside and I love to be on hikes. I love to be on boats. I love to just be outside swimming, hiking. And so I'm passionate about I'm passionate about keep, keep the environment intact and keep it healthy. And I wanted to start a business that wouldn't, wouldn't harm the environment. And this is something that benefits the environment. So, um, that's, that's what drew me to the business. Um, and that's how I was sure that I wanted to be a part of it because it, it I had never come across anything that was so beneficial to so many, so many things like people and the environment. Yeah, and I think on the same point there, not only that, but it also offers you a platform to educate more people on our ocean's environment. Because you, you take a bag of oysters to a barbecue, well, first of all, it's not like a hamburger, right? There's a story, and not many people want to know, because there, there could be a story behind a hamburger, but not many people want to know that story. But yeah. you go to a barbecue, and I'm sure you get tons and tons of questions about all right, what's the deal with the oysters? I mean, obviously you're an oysterman yeah. or oyster farmer, but you know there's a story behind every single oyster, regardless of who grows it. So right, yeah. Well, that's that's the beauty of them. They're very communal. They're very communal um, food. <laughs> uh, it's it's about the ceremony of eating oysters. It's it's about coming together, and sh they're not easy. They're, it's not. You give somebody a hamburger and they can they can they can eat it when they get home. Um, but if you give somebody a bag of oysters, uh, you're given you gotta you gotta you're asking them to you know spend the time to open the oysters um, and to shuck them properly and uh, and so that that's a task. So you're giving somebody food, but you're, it's also a task. If, if you're asking somebody to, to bring them home with them, but yeah, they're, they're a communal food, um, a ceremonial food. Um, 
And they also, um, they take on, they, this is something that a lot of people talk about that they take on the flavor profile of the, the location that they're grown. So a Rhode Island oyster isn't going to taste like a California oyster. And is that not going to taste like a New York oyster? I mean, I can tell definitively, I can tell a huge, there's a huge difference between a Rhode Island, a Southern Rhode Island oyster that's grown down in the salt ponds versus um, an oyster that we grow up in the Bay. Um, an, an oyster that we grow up in the Bay is going to have the, the ones that we grow are going to take on the flavor of, uh, of the location that they're grown, just like any. And so we end up having a very, um, a briny, briny, uh, buttery flavor, um, to our oysters. And then down in Southern Rhode Island, they'll, 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 um, sometimes end up with more of a sweetness, um, less brine. They, they probably have more freshwater influence down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you compare that to a New York oyster and a California oyster, or um, really just give it a few miles away and they'll, they'll taste very different. And then the other thing that makes them taste very different is the time of year. An oyster that's harvested in, um, in the winter versus the summer is going to taste different um, because you're, you're harvesting an oyster that's at a different place in its life cycle. Um, and, and then the other thing that gives them a different uh, flavor profile and, and maybe more so a different texture um, and look is the style that they're grown in. So we grow them in floating gear that floats on the surface of the water and it, it's constantly moving around and um, the, the oyster cage itself is floating. So it's, it's going up and down with the waves and it's rocking back and forth. So it's constantly moving the oysters around. Um, and that sort of tumbles them and gives them a smooth, almost like sea glass gets like a smooth finish to it. Mm, that's our a good analogy, to, yeah. Yeah, our oysters sort of get like a, a smooth shell versus um, something that sits, uh, an oyster that, um, that is grown on the bottom. Um, that'll look different and, and uh, you'll be able to tell in the f- flavor profile. It'll taste more earthy because it's down in the in the in the sand or the mud or um whatever whatever the bottom looks like um it, it'll just have at least on our farm we, we've we've grown some on the bottom and they have more of an earthy flavor to them um and the shell looks vastly different it, it'll have a darker color and it'll be more have sharper jagged edges because it hasn't moved much it's just been on the bottom and it hasn't been like jostled around as much. Um, and like, those are, those are variables that really change dramatically change the flavor and, um, and the look of the shell. That being said, I, I think the best part about oysters is trying them all. I think the best part about oysters is, is like I said, the ceremony of doing the taste test and, um, and it's the experience of, of trying the different water bodies and, that's, I think, the, the most fun part about eating oysters is um, when I, you know, if somebody says, what's the best oyster? I say, get them all because, um, because that's, that's, that's the whole experience is trying, trying the different flavor profiles. Um, and, and then once you try them all, you pick your favorite and, and you continue with that favorite. But um, I, think, I think if I'm sitting down in an oyster bar, I, that's my favorite thing to do is just um, – Try, try all of them because there's so many variables 
that change uh, change the oysters. So yeah, and it's um, super interesting yeah. because you think of um, it's similar to being like a like a beer, right? I mean, I yeah. know the local beer here is Whalers, right? And there's different processes and different beer gets made differently in ciders versus like a stout or a pale ale or an IPA and very, very similar to how an oyster is um, made differently depending on how mm-hmm. it's grown and like you explained. But I think what really makes it, what makes it different and even more interesting is how many people that oyster affects, right? Because at the same time, a beer is made and then it goes from the brewery into a can possibly or a bottle and then uh, or into a draft and then right into the customer's mouth. But in, and that's yeah. kind of it, right? The oyster, yeah. the oyster itself alone has so many different impacts along the road. And like you said, it tastes differently depending on where you are and depending on what that farmer does with it. So yeah. despite the oyster being grown in South Kingstown, it still has an effect on the ocean up here in the bay because the yeah. cleaner the bay is down there, the cleaner it is up here and vice versa. So it, it just kind of stretches along it's, it's whole, it's whole life cycle has an impact on the earth's oceans. Um, you know, onto the entire ocean, I guess you could argue, right. To some degree. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it keeps that naturally occurring phytoplankton, in check, um, phytoplankton is, is an organic material that's in the ocean, but you have too much of anything is, is not a good thing. Um, like I said, if you have too much phytoplankton in the water, then the light can't penetrate and aquatic, aquatic life can't, can't, can't grow. So they're, they're not like super, super, you know, super foods, but in a way they are, they're, 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 um, they're sort of like the lint. They're they're a very important part of the ecosystem. They, they're sort of the linchpin, um, and there's not many naturally occurring oysters now. There used to be. There used to be a lot, um, but due to overharvesting um, 100 years ago, we overharvested them. And if you take if you take and component like any other food system, um, if you take a component out then there's there's the balance gets out of whack so oysters keep keep the balance they 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 eat that phytoplankton that's in the water um and don't don't let that they 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 don't let that get get too um out of hand Mm, right right yeah they almost they are in some sense the the filter of the ocean yeah just like trees are to the earth right Right, as as much as trees create oxygen, the oysters uh, create the clean water. Yeah, and now I know you mentioned earlier, um, or you might not have mentioned, but you told me uh, personally about the billion dollar. Uh, what is it? The billion oyster project. Yeah, that's part a of? great. It's a great organization. Um, I've, I I love talking about them. They, they've um, they've been uh, they've been I don't know when they started, but as as early as maybe 2012. Maybe probably I think probably earlier, um, but their their goal and I I would have to look it up to be sure. But I I know that their goal is to have uh, at least a billion oysters in New York Harbor uh, by 2000 maybe 2030. Wow. Or, uh, maybe sooner and maybe maybe it's two billion. 
but um, it's called the Billion Oyster Project, and it's in uh, it's it's put on by the the uh, the Harbor School, the New York Harbor School, and um, they they partner with schools and and they they get community members and kids to come out um, and help them and volunteer um, and plant oysters in New York Harbor, which is really not healthy water to eat out of. Um, and so these aren't going to, they're not, they're not, uh, oysters to harvest and eat, but they're sacrificial oysters in that, um, they'll help to, uh, filter out that, uh, that phytoplankton that's, um, that there's so much of in New York Harbor because there's, there's so, there's so much, it's just, there's so much nutrients in that, in that water. It's polluted, um, which isn't good, but so they're not going to, they're not going to be able to solve the pollution, but they're, they'll, like I said, they, they help to balance out um, some of that uh, phytoplankton. So they'll, they'll filter that phytoplankton. And while doing that, the, the light can, like I said, um, the light can penetrate down to the bottom of the harbor and hopefully we'll, we'll begin over the next, you know, few years, a few decades, um, begin to, uh, begin to grow the aquatic life back not to back to what it used to be but um it'll it'll help to make the the harbor um a more uh friendly place to aquatic life uh to fish and um crabs and and all all types of aquatic life um when henry hudson just like an aside note when henry hudson first came in uh up the hudson river mm-hmm. um and um they, th- this is written about in a lot of books. Um, the the uh, the big oyster is a really good book to to read if any of your listeners want to learn about um, the history of uh, the history of uh, oysters on the East Coast. Yeah, what was it called? It's called the big oyster. Okay. Um, and it's it's a history of New York, the evolution of New York City but it's through the lens of oysters. Hmm. Um, so uh, when Henry Hudson first came up the, the Hudson River, which was not called the Hudson River, but um, they, they, the water was blue. It was clear. It was like Caribbean clear. Really? Um, yes. Uh, because, um, and, and when you look down, you could see the oyster beds. They, they, they were, you know, their ships were knocking off the oysters because, the, the the oyster beds had gotten so high and they were um, they were hitting the oyster beds and knocking off oysters because they couldn't avoid them. There were so many oysters. Um, and because of that, the, the water was crystal clear um, because they were filtering out all of that nutrients that was in, uh, that were in the water. Um, anyway, that that's a, that's sort of like the beginning of that book. And then you see, um, the evolution of New York through um, through the lens of oysters, and we they overharvested, and then um, so many people moved to Manhattan and polluted the water, and then people got sick because the water was polluted, but they were eating the oysters, um, and now we're now we're at a point, or not we, but um, they are at a point in New York Harbor where obviously you can't eat from the harbor anymore but um they're putting in the oysters back to 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 be sacrificial oysters that will help um to bring bring the hopefully bring the life back into the 
into the water body. Mm, right. And I think the, the theme here, I, I think, right, is this isn't a, this isn't a short-term process, right? No. And I think people need to realize that is just because you start planting some oysters, it's not going to happen overnight, and you have to have your finger on the pulse. Like, you have yep. to have the foot on the pedal. You can't just keep, you know, hoping that it's going to work. You, you really got to keep planting oysters and, and being proactive and having some sort of mindset of being sustainable. And we all need to act as a team in the end, but um, it's companies like you and organizations like the Billion Dollar, uh, not the Billion Dollar, the Billion Oyster Project mm-hmm. um, that are really going to pave the way for not only, you know, our children, but our children's children and their children, because at some point in time, Narragansett Bay was a huge place to get oysters, as was New York. You know, you just explained it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. who would who would think? I mean, it's hard to even believe that New York Harbor had waters as clear as the Caribbean today. That's yeah. that's absurd to me, right? That's insane. Yep. Um, so it really is a long term journey, and I think in some ways. It's a testament to the oyster because the oysters need time to grow, right? They need yep, time they to be sacrificed and then more need to be built up. And then eventually down the road, we're going to get there, but it's going to take time. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that kind of brings me to my next point, which, or, you know, something that maybe you can explain to us is what what is the process between you having an oyster mm-hmm. and then it going through the supply chain, like you personally, and it being sold, like, are you selling it at farmers markets, restaurants? And then, what is your process from, you know, do you buy the spat and then you grow it yourself, or do you buy oysters that are a certain size? Like, just give us a little bit of an overview of what that looks like. Yeah. So, so like I said, um, oysters in in the wild, they'll they'll put out uh, they'll put out eggs and sperm into the water, and uh, the eggs and sperm will do the magic, and then you'll have little, um, little, uh, larva, millions of larvae swimming around looking, uh, oyster larvae swimming around looking for something to glue themselves onto. And they'll usually find a shell or a rock or um, anything in, in, on the bottom to attach to, and they'll swim around for a few days and then they'll finally glue themselves to something. Um, and then they'll start to develop a shell over the next couple weeks. And again, this, can only be seen under a microscope it's very very tiny um but they'll they'll live they'll live like that for then you know for as long as they live um on on that uh rock or shell they'll develop the shell and um and they will live for the next 5 10 15 years what what have you um so that's in the wild but uh in in our case with farmers um, there's basically three stages. The first stage is a hatchery, and what a hatchery does is they uh, they breed those um, oysters. They, they they take say a dozen oysters in a tank and um, raise the water temperature to about 50 degrees, which is um, which triggers that reaction in the oyster. Uh, the oysters put out the eggs and sperm into the water column in a tank, and then they have a tank full of microscopic larva. And then, um, and then rather than swimming around, we, we wouldn't want to sell oysters at, at the end stage. We wouldn't want to sell oysters that are attached to rocks or shells. 
we want to sell a single shell oyster. So what they take, what, what they do is they grind up shell and it's, it's basically like sand particles and they put it in the tank and the uh, larva swim around looking for something to attach to it. And they find um, an individual uh, grain of shell or sand um, and they attach to that and then they grow, they continue to grow on that. And then after about, um, after about two months of them growing, they're maybe the size, maybe um, three or four millimeters or so, not very big. At that stage, they can go into upwellers. Uh, that's the second stage. Mm -hmm. Upwellers would be in um, in like a protected in a protected uh, area, like a dock in in a bay. But um, they're they're not quite ready for the ocean, but they're ready for sort of that intermediate stage. And the upweller, what that does is it pumps fresh uh, seawater um, through um, through the oysters, so they're 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 constantly uh, having access to to plenty of uh, algae, and they they feed off that um, for the next few months, and then um, and then when we buy them as farmers on the bay, we buy them uh, at uh, we're, we're the third stage. We buy them when they're maybe three months or four months, depending on where, where in the season they're planted. Mm -hmm. um, but we buy them when they're about half the size of a dime, um, uh, just uh, maybe 13 millimeters or so. Um, and we plant them in our floating oyster farm because uh, at that point they're, they're robust and um, robust enough to, to sustain life in the ocean. And um, and then we we plant them on our farm and um, and then they usually go about two seasons worth, um, sometimes three seasons, which would be th three years, um, two or three years, and um, and then after we you know uh, there's a whole bunch of things that we have to do to maintain those oysters throughout those two or three years, but. Um, they'll live on our farm for two or three years, and then we'll finally harvest them two or three years later, and um, they'll get sold to, we, we sell them to oyster bars, we sell them to uh, grocery stores, we sell them to wholesalers. We're sort of an, an all-hands uh, all approach. We, we sell all, directly to customers. We, we're a dealer as well as a farm operation, so we can really sell to whoever we want, but... Um, most of our business is done through wholesale, so we'll we'll sell most of it to wholesale, and then that'll usually most of it is locally distributed. Some of it goes down as far as Virginia. Wow. Um, some yeah, some of it goes up to um, probably as far as Portland, Maine, mm -hmm. um, and as may, west maybe and as west as uh, San Francisco, right? Well, yeah, we, we don't ship anywhere. Um, it, it, we make one exception for Hog Island. We ship yeah. to Hog Island Oyster Farm. Um, uh, other than other than Hog Island, everything is consumed locally. Um, but we we have a, a a friendly connection to Hog Island, and they they just do they've done so like so well by me, and they did so well to um, teach me so many things. Um, and so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a fun 
fun connection to keep alive with them. Um, yeah, no, that's super cool. And it's funny cause I was in, um, I was in San Francisco and then I talked to you, I think it was like two days later. You're like, Oh dude, did you go to hog Island? And I was like, yeah, I went to hog Island. Um, yeah. unfortunately the line, the line was too long, but you know, you were like, Oh, my oysters were there. And I'm like, Oh man, I would have stayed in line for that. You know? Yeah. How funny would that been? That would have been pretty cool. But yeah, you know, the, next time. Exactly. Next time. Well, mm-hmm. Graham, so obviously you got the farm going on right now and it's still, you know, you're still tending to it, uh, when you can, despite having the whole, you know, coronavirus thing going on right now. Um, but what do you kind of see for the future of, um, not Hog Island, West Passage oysters? I know you'd spoken about possibly doing some, uh, some oyster farm tours or some more farmer's markets. What's kind of your idea for the future of the farm? Uh, the future of the farm is we're going to focus on producing the best possible oyster that we can. Um, so that's really our main, that's really our focus. Um, there's, uh, there's every single time we go out there, we learn something new. Um, so it, it's funny. It's a floating farm and, and depending on the tide and the wind, it always, it always looks different. Um, we're always picking out oysters and, and some of them look better than others. And we're trying to figure out, you know, Oh, well, why does that one grow better and faster than that one? And it'll take sometimes a year before we figure out, oh, that's why that batch of oysters turned out the way it did. And that's why that batch of oysters turned out the way it did. Um, point, my point is, is uh, we're, we're constantly tweaking our, our operation mm-hmm. um, and it's constantly evolving um, and we're constantly making things better. Um, so from a farm standpoint, we're, we're just really focusing on that. We, we were planning on an expansion of the farm this season. Um, this whole coronavirus outbreak might, um, might, we might slow that progress down. Um, but I don't know, we, we might still be able to pull off, um, expanding the season so far the past three years, we've expanded every, every season, mm, um, which is incredible, which has, been, which has been really good. Um, so we'll see if we can pull that off this year. And then, um, and then moving into, I guess, like the farther into the future, um, we want to be, we want to be at farmer's markets. We want to be doing more retail, uh, retail stuff, but I don't want to lose the focus of the farming. I, I don't, I mean, the farming is, I think what we're, what, like I'm here to do. Um, so I, I, I feel so happy being on the water. Um, I don't necessarily want to delegate that entirely to someone or, or, or a crew to be doing that. Um, and cause that's, that's why I got into this work is to be outside. Right. Um, so I like being a part of that, um, a, a part of that operation. And, uh, but yeah, moving into the future, we want to do f- some farmer's markets, maybe do some catering, um, get into the catering a little bit. And by catering, I just mean like a, maybe a traveling oyster bar um, where we go to parties and, um, and we already do that. Uh, we, we just haven't marketed uh, too much um, uh, of, of our catering business, but you know, we, we, we've done a lot of that um, in the past. Just, I, I think we probably want to uh, have 
more of a focus on doing some retail retail stuff. Um, but my my overall goal is is really to produce a good oyster. Um, so yeah, as long as as long as that can be the focus and we can branch out into into doing some retail stuff, um, that's that's the that's the goal moving forward. Well, and I think your approach and your mindset right now is exactly where you need to be because yeah. in, in many ways, a lot of companies, um, they look towards, well, what's the next step? How can I make more money? So on and so forth. And they're not yeah. focusing on the product that they have. Like, let's make the best product possible, like the best one on the market. And by doing that and not losing sight of the marketing, because you always yeah. need that in the background, right? You can't just be like, we're just going to focus on the product and forget about it. Yeah. You, you you need to keep that in your back pocket, but at the same time, you, you need to have, I think, a 50-50 split between focus on the farm, get the product where it needs to be, make an amazing product, but also be true to yourself and the brand. And with that combination, it'll sell on itself, right? Because you're being true to the farm. You're, you're being authentic yeah. with you because yeah. if you're not on the farm, Graham, then no one else can, no one else can do that. But if you're on the farm no. every day and when you go to a farmer's market and you're like, no man, I, I legit grew this oyster that I'm giving you right now. That means something to that person that's buying the yeah, oyster. It and it means something to the rest, the restaurateur that's, that's buying it from you and distributing it to his guests. So right. I think you're on the right track and it sounds like. The, the future of West Passage is going to be a bright one be, just because of that. I think so. I think I, and, and, you know, it's because, because I've had so much experience working with other farms, Hog Island and, uh, and Matunic Oyster Farm in Rhode Island. I worked for, for, for a year and um, I learned so much from Perry Rosso and yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely, Oh, and um Learned so much from Dutch Island too, Dutch Island Oyster Farm. Yeah, from uh, I, I've just I, I I think that's why our fruit is bright because we we've um, I, I've had a lot of experience working for other people and um, and they were they were nice enough to pass on their use for useful knowledge to me mm -hmm. as opposed to being withholding of of information. It's very communal like that here in Rhode Island and especially with oyster farming. Um, so that, I think that's why it's a bright future. I think a lot of, a lot of oyster farmers are hurting right now with this, like with the current state that we're in, but um, the more support that we can get from people that want to buy oysters um, through, uh, through this coronavirus outbreak, um, the better. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, but I mean, everyone's hurting right now, right? So, yeah. um, I mean, obviously, I had to, I had to come back from Hawaii uh, just because the tourism economy dropped out. I mean, yeah. people, you can't fly, right? Yeah. So, without anyone flying with a fourteen day quarantine, no one, no one's doing anything. So, no. um, this will pass. Things are gonna get better, and I can totally see myself coming back out on the boat with you, like I did last summer. Um, well, I hope you, yeah, I hope we can, uh, hope we can do that soon. I mean, we can, we can start going on the boat, um, soon. The, the one thing that doesn't change with this coronavirus outbreak is, uh, the fishing, uh, recreational fishing, the, the bass are going to start 
comes back, and we're going to be able to do some fishing real soon. Heck yeah. I'm totally down. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, Graham, um, let's uh, let's bring this ship into port. And uh, any what any final words for the the listeners and anything you want to say about West Passage? Like, where where can we where can we find you? Yeah. Um, well, th- first of all, um, thanks for listening to the podcast and support this beautiful this beautiful project. I um I uh, I I wish you the best with uh, with this project, Zach. Um, and also, uh, you can find you can find the oysters. Honestly, sometimes your guess is as good as mine. They, they end up at a lot of they end up at a lot of oyster bars. Um, I know the Bristol Bay, Bristol sorry Bristol Oyster Bar has them. The Tunic Oyster Bar, uh, Greenwich Bay Oyster Bar is a really really great restaurant um, in East Greenwich, Rhode Island really small place, but, um, but really charming. Um, Providence oyster bar, Gardner seafood in Wickford, Rhode Island. Um, it's a, yeah. I, but, but like I said, we, we do a lot of wholesale and I can't guarantee they're, uh, they're, they're, they're going to be at a certain place or if they're not, a lot of places cycle through a variety of oysters. So, um, so that that's kind of the fun part for me is going out to dinner. Sometimes I'll I'll see them on a menu and not not even realize that um, realize that they were getting sold there. So that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It it's really 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 cool. But um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's 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 been uh, it's been great. I think it went really well. Yeah, I did too, and I'm excited to to share it out and spread the good word about West Passage and and you. So. Yeah. Awesome. I really appreciate your time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for sticking around towards the end of the show. Here's that bonus content we were talking about towards at the beginning. Um, Graham, as well as other oyster farmers, fishermen, and anyone else that's uh, working on the waterfront uh, can definitely say that there has been a drastic uh, impact on the waterfront. I know from personal experience um, I actually had to leave Hawaii uh, and leave my job as a boat captain for the time being due to the lack of tourism. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, or it might be kind of obvious that Hawaii relies heavily on tourism. So 85% of the economy roughly is tourism-based. And even though 85% is, the, the rest of that uh, makeup is also somewhat related to tourism as well. Uh, if you want to include restaurants, uh, and other infrastructure-based jobs. In the at the end of the day, tourism makes up pretty much the majority of Hawaii's economy. Now, with the lack of people traveling due to the pandemic, whether it's hysteria, health concerns, uh, what have you, the the truth is that people are traveling less. They're not eating out. Uh, whether it's a mandatory quarantine, a recommended quarantine, it doesn't really matter. So, at the end of the day, what's happening is happening, and. It's having an effect on the economy, as many of you know. So um, just wanted to kind of get Graham's feedback on what he thinks is going on and how it's affecting him and just give him a little bit of insight. So uh, without further ado, here's that bonus content. Stick around to the end of it, though, because we do throw in a few laughs in there. You got to keep it lighthearted. So uh, with that, enjoy. What's in like the foreseeable future for West Passage because of the, the virus? Like, Do you just hop back on the boat and get back to it or... Um, have you been going out and 
you know, tending to the oysters or? So it's, I mean, we're, we're affected because we're, uh, whatever affects the restaurants affects us. Like if, if the oyster bars are shut down, um, then we are entirely shut down because, um, uh, I don't quote me on the, on the number, but it, you know, a huge majority of the oysters that are consumed are consumed through oyster bars and restaurants. Um, some people take them home and shock them themselves. And those are like diehard oyster eaters. And I love those people, but there aren't that many of those people right now. Um, so the fact that the, the, all the oyster bars and all the restaurants are shut down means that uh, our business completely is shut down. Like we don't, we're not selling oysters. There's been a few people that have reached out asking um, if they could buy oysters and I'm happy to do that um, just to, you know, boost morale and, and, uh, and to, um, and to keep things moving a little bit. But as far as like um, business uh, it's, it's been, it's been pretty much zero. So um, pretty soon it's March 23rd right now. Uh, the, the oysters aren't really growing. So um, we're at the tail end of the winter and the winter is a slow time when there isn't too much tending that we have to do. Uh, because the oysters are sort of in a dormant phase throughout the cold months. But now that the water temperature will start to warm um, and we're going to go into the spring and, and things start to go back into a growing phase, um, all types of algaes and, uh, you know, stuff that grows in the ocean, seaweeds, um, the oysters as well, everything starts growing. Um, that's when we need to start tending to all the gear. And it also tends to be when things kick off for the season. And, um, a lot of people get really excited about barbecues and, um, going out to oyster bars and going out to dinner, just a lot more than, than people do in the winter time. Um, people travel a lot more, people just get more active in the summertime. So we see sales really sky like really start to um turn up right now like normally right now so this is this is really hitting us because um this is exactly when oysters o oysters would start to get um consumed and we're just completely shut down um not that gina ramundo shut us down it's just there's there's usually a really high demand and right now it's just zero there's no demand so right. we've got we've got supply um but uh but there's no demand so um to answer your question we're in late march right now it's kind of it, it's kind of it's kind of slow if we're not going out there to get oysters there's not much to do right um uh but in a couple weeks uh it's really going to start to kick up so um like uh, the oysters are going to start growing. They're going to need tending to, mm -hmm. and um, all types of maintenance on the farm. The problem is um, going out there for zero, uh, zero. Yeah, I mean, it's you're, not, you're going out there every... and you're not making money. It's all it's all take. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the issue that we're going to run into. Um, is whether or not we can sustain that. I mean, we will sustain that. It's not a question of if, but 
it's going to be a rough, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty rough season. Yeah, I mean, you know, coming from Hawaii, oh, dude, it's 85% tourism. So I, I just, some people out there were, are pretty optimistic as to what's going to go down. But, mm-hmm. and I tend to be, I try to be as optimistic as possible, but I'm also a realist, yeah. you know? And yeah, there's, without a doubt. With the, the stock market literally has dropped 37%. 37%. Good time to buy. It's a good time to buy. Dude, it's an awesome time to buy. But if you're yeah. if if you had money invested, um you Screwed. you lost. You lost your ass, you know? Yeah. It's scary. Absolutely. Um I had all my money invested in this farm and I still do. Um so it's not in the stock market, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm we're all going to feel it. I think we're I think the service industry and the food industry uh, or at least this part of the food industry is mm. going to feel it um, really like immediately. Like I'm, I'm feeling it day one. Um, I think other people that are, you know, graphic designers and uh, other walks of life, uh, carpenters, I mean, all types of people are going to feel it. But I think as farmers, we're of oysters, we're feeling it because um, that's, that's the other piece is if this were to send us into a recession, which is likely, um, oysters and massages and caviar and th- those types of things are the first things when you tighten your belt to save money um, because there's layoffs then you know the oysters and, and high-end luxury items um, are the first first things to first things to go which I don't know I mean but then again on the, on the flip side if I'm playing the positivity piece then it's Oysters are so healthy for you. They're so high in zinc, and they're they're good for they're they're great for your immune system, and um, so it's a really healthy protein to consume, um, and a sustainable healthy protein to consume. Um, so maybe that maybe that will be maybe that will be um, true too. I mean, I really there, I really don't know how this is going to play out, but um, but right now we're feeling it because there's no demand for oysters. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, as much as it is a luxury item, I think depending on where you are in the world, and especially in the United States, oysters have kind of become some form of like a comfort food, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah. And almost a commodity, right? So mm-hmm. even though the summer kicks around, those who eat oysters are most likely going to continue to eat oysters. It, it's, I hope so. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could call it the uh, the ice cream of the ocean. Right. Yeah. No matter. Ooh, no matter. I like that. You like that. You like that. No matter. I love that. No matter what the economy is going to be, people are still going to go eat ice cream because it's a the comfort food. Ice cream food. is the ocean. Yeah. If dude. only I could get. If I. If only I could get the oysters to taste like ice cream. Dude, what? What would? What would your your oyster ice cream be? What would the oyster ice cream be? Yeah. What flavor of oyster? Because you can't. You can't go like straight chocolate chip cookie dough. It has to be like you know kelp mint or. I don't know, like, crust, like yeah. crustacean cookie or I don't know, something weird, right? Kelp butter. Kelp butter oyster ice cream. There you go. Yeah, kelp kelp butter oyster. And an, an extra chunky. <laughs> a big old chunk of kelp in there. <laughs> yeah, a big old chunk of kelp and a big old chunk of oyster. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but but I do I, I don't I I like the name though I like uh, ocean ice cream. Yeah, right. Hey, there you yeah. go. 
Maybe we're going to business That's together. <laughs> yeah, that's genius. I mean, um, the the oysters are are produced by West Passage Oyster Company, but maybe uh, we'll we'll name we'll, maybe we'll brand the oysters um, to have that name. Ocean 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 uh, Ice Cream Cones. Ocean Ice Cream Cones. Uh, yeah. Well, if you hold them the right way, I mean, they kind of look like an ice cream cone. Right? Yeah, ocean cones. Yeah, ocean maybe cones. ocean cones. There you go. That's pretty legit, right there. I like that. I like that. That that rolls that rolls off the rolls off the tongue. It does. It does indeed. I like you, it. you go on an oyster tour. You get an oyster cone, and you have some oysters. Yeah, oyster cone or or ocean cone. Ocean cone. See, see, Graham, we're gonna get through this. It's all ocean. a big cycle, right? <laughs> I'm I'm actually writing that down. You write it down. I want. I have an IP on that though, so you know, just stay. Just watch. Yeah, out. you'll get you'll you'll get your ten percent. I'll get my ten percent. There you go. <laughs> um. <laughs> and that is the end of our show, guys. We really appreciate you sticking around and uh, listening to what Graham had to say in terms of the bonus content as well as well as just the regular old show. We we really appreciate your support. Um, I think what's really important here to realize is. Uh, the best thing that we can do during this weird, interesting time is to support the local guys. You know, voting with your wallet, investing in the the community, supporting your neighbor. I think that's really important, not only always, but also during you know times of need like we are in now. So the guys on the waterfront, including myself, uh, who actually had to leave Hawaii um, and leave my job as a captain there for the time being because of the lack of tourism. Uh, are definitely impacted. So please, please do support them. And if you wouldn't mind, while you're supporting them, support the show. Uh, like, share, subscribe. Give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, leave us a review. Reviews go, go a long way. Giving us five stars lets other people know how we're doing. And it also lets me know, know how I'm doing. So uh, that's always uh, appreciated. If you want, check us out on beyondthebuoypodcast.com. I got that website up and running. Uh, there's a little bit editing I need to do left, but give it a shout, give it a look out, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, guys.